I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. The South Dakota Catholic Conference represents the bishops of South Dakota on matters of public policy, providing explanations of how church teaching applies to the issues of our day. On this podcast, we range from the soul to the state as we try to cultivate those virtues and principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. As I said, I'm your host, Chris Motes. I'm also the executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. For those who are uh, are joining us now via the Real Presence radio network, we've been broadcasting on RPR network for four weeks now. You might be living in a different state, North Dakota, Minnesota, got a five-state broadcast region uh, for RPR. If you're wondering what the heck is the South Dakota Catholic Conference, and is there one of those near me, there probably is. You can look them up. I've got, uh, I've got colleagues working in Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, all of the states that touch on South Dakota. So if you're a little curious, what's a Catholic Conference, just Google it and see what the Catholic Conference in your state is up to. Today, we're going to talk about a saint. We talked last week with Professor Gerard Wegemer, one of the world's foremost experts on St. Thomas More, of course, in anticipation of, of uh, St. Thomas's feast day this June 22nd, a, gr- a great saint of, uh, of politics, faith in politics, we might say. This week, we're going to kind of continue the theme a little bit. One of, um, one of the things that I learned about St. Thomas More is that early in his legal career, he gave a series of public lectures on St. Augustine, St. Augustine's uh, City of God, Moore was very, very influenced by um, Cicero and Augustine. Uh, so this week, we're going to continue uh, our exploration of a saint by, by diving a bit into the thought of St. Augustine. Joining me uh, this week is no stranger to faith and politics to our show here. Uh, I'm joined by Professor John Schaff, uh, Professor of Political Science at Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Professor Schaff, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to be here. Well, I'm, I'm really glad, you know, as we were just talking a little bit about um, getting you back on the show, it's kind of, it, I should say too, it seems like it's been maybe six months or so. We had you on midwinter. We talked a little bit about the, the impeachment of an American president. And it seems like so much has happened in our world and in our country that time. Just, just some really massively important events one of the things that we want to explore on this show is like, is what is the formation that we need that can really help us digest, understand, and speak articulately into the contemporary events of our age? And you brought up St. Augustine uh, as just like a particularly uh, important figure in history, an important figure in, in Catholicism. Um, so we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit uh, into St. Augustine today at your suggestion. Thank you so much for, um, for raising the idea. I'm wondering if, um, if maybe, Professor, you wouldn't mind just starting us out a little bit with a bit of a biography of Augustine. Who, who is he? When did he live? Um, why are his thoughts on politics, which are many, many hundreds of, yes. of years old now, why are they important to us today? Yeah, so Augustine uh, lived in, from the middle of the fourth century AD. So he was born in, I believe it was 354 AD, lived till 430 AD. Uh, you can get at least some part of the story of his life uh, in his famous confessions, uh, which I think most people would say is 
the greatest spiritual memoir ever written, uh, his story of his spiritual spiritual life, uh, kind of his spiritual journey. Um, and some would say it might be even just the best memoir ever written. And so he was born in uh, North Africa as a Roman citizen. And uh, his mother was uh, St. Monica. Uh, so his mother was Catholic, his father not, but he was kind of brought up in the faith without going into too many details, left the faith, uh, eventually, through a series of events, which you can read about in the confessions, um, he came back to the faith after kind of a journey towards through Manichaeanism. He fell under the influence eventually. He ended up in, in Italy um, under the influence of St. Ambrose and had a conversion, and eventually becomes a Catholic priest and then a bishop. So he became, he went back to North Africa and became Bishop of Hippo. And I think for our purposes, the main thing that happened in Augustine's life that is relevant for us. Uh, for this for this show is that Augustine is alive and is is bishop at the very decline of the Roman Empire, and so within his lifetime, um, uh, Rome was sacked by Alaric uh, the Great of the Visigoths. Uh, Rome seems to be and really is at kind of on its its last legs, and a lot of that people start ascribing that to this is what happens when you become Christian, that the decline of our great Roman empire is because we had become Christian under the uh, Emperor Constantine. And uh, with other than a, a short interregnum, which we might get to uh, under um, Julian the Apostate, which who was uh, emperor very early in Augustine's life, he would have been, he would have been very young. Uh, uh, Rome had been Christian for, uh, many decades at this point, a couple centuries at this point. And, and the, the argument was, this is why Rome is in decline. And so Augustine wrote a lot about politics. The, the, the big book you're, 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 you may have alluded to, City of God, uh, which, which is a tome. So it's, 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 it's a large book, but you can get it. It's readily available. But City of God is basically uh, Augustine, one of Augustine's major works, working through what is the nature of Rome? What is the nature of politics? How does the church relate to politics? What is a Christian to do? What is a Christian citizen to do? And, and that I think is, is where, and so be, because of the times he lived in, Augustine was very interested in the intersection of the church and politics. And then how, how is it that the, that the church re related to the empire? And is it really the church's fault that the empire was in decline or was it, was it something else? And, and when you say that City of God was a tome, for our listeners, I just want to make clear, that means that it was a monster. Like this yeah. book is massive. <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, I, I actually, for the first time in my life, just last year, many of the listeners will know Dr. Chris Bergwald, um, theologian in the Diocese of Sioux Falls. We undertook to read it together last year. And it's just like, it's a, it's a slog. I don't, it's not for the faint of heart. That's not a discouragement, like don't ever open it, but it's, uh, it's one of those adventures that I would encourage you to embark on uh, with a study group if it's something that you're interested in. Yeah, I would, I would relate it, Chris, to I, I recently read Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. Ah. And if people have read Karamazov or Crime and Punishment or you pick up Anna Karenina or War and Peace by Tolstoy, Augustine sort of reads like a Russian novel, <laughs> yeah. uh, which there's a lot of names. It's there's I mean, this particular volume, not because, I mean, because... Augustine's a very lucid writer, especially if you get a good translation. It's just that the City of God in particular is, is most editions you'll get are probably around 800 to 900 pages. There's it, it, cause you're reading an ancient text. 
you're going to constantly be going back to the notes about who's he referring to, who's this person, what's this event that Augustine can take for granted that his readers knew, but we now, uh, 1600 years later, might not necessarily know who, who these references. And so I think it's, it's, I think you're right that probably reading it with the group is, is a way, is the way to go. Let's see, there are edited versions, there are shorter versions that you can get. If you want to read the real deal, reading it with the group uh, is the way to go. And both you and I, as we've read the thing cover to cover, the, the whole thing, have done it in groups. I've, I've never sat down and read the whole thing on my own. I did it like you as a part of a group some years ago. If you're just joining us, I am Chris Motes, the host of Faith and Politics, joined by Professor John Schaff. We're talking about Augustine, a little bit of City of God. And for those that are maybe intimidated by what a, what a monster uh, of a tome this book is, uh, don't worry, you can just tune into Faith and Politics. I'm going to be doing a series with Professor Schaff. Uh, he'll be on again next month, and we're going to continue talking about Augustine. But maybe before we move on, Professor, just a couple of comments or, uh, or thoughts on, are, are there some differing assumptions that we might identify between ancient and modern politics that are important here? Yeah, one of the things that you have to realize is he, is he dig into Augustine or any ancient writer on politics is that they're starting from very different assumptions than we in the modern world tend to uh, tend to draw from. So when we study politics, uh, we can, uh, the history of political thought, we tend to divide it into um, probably four basic eras, the ancient era, the medieval era, then what we call the medieval era, the, the modern era, the modern era probably starts in about 1500, about 1520 with Machiavelli. Uh, and then we live in the postmodern era, which you could probably date to say Nietzsche in the late 19th century. Uh, but we're, uh, we in America are very influenced by modern and then to a, a certain extent postmodern thought and the assumptions are very, are very different. So for example, um, do I conform myself to reality outside myself, or is reality something I create out of my own will? So Augustine tends to think, as someone who's more influenced by ancient thought, that there is reality separate from my will, right? For example, there is nature, there is God's will, and the job of the human person is to conform himself to a reality that lies outside of, of human will. Whereas the modern, and especially postmodern, which some would call simply hypermodern, uh, kind of modernity on steroids, uh, but modernity tends to say that no, the human will can shape nature. I can shape my reality through uh, things like science, technology, uh, things like you know even the modern emphasis on democracy. The people get what they want, right? What I, what we will, we should get. Uh, as opposed to how do we conform to something outside ourselves, or even as we as we think about our choices, is my choice good because I have chosen something that is naturally good, right? Mm. Or is my choice good because it is it is freely chosen, free of uh, external restraints? And so Augustine's more likely to say a choice is good and free because you've chosen something that's good. Moderns are more likely to say a choice is free because it's been it's it's a free act of the will in in the sense that there aren't any external uh, constraints. It can be right? good because you chose it, and and I think this yeah. this concept shouldn't be unfamiliar to many listeners who maybe have heard us talk a little bit about Aristotle in the past, and and yeah. even just like the thought of Thomas Aquinas. This is just this sort of view of reality is 
is fundamental to Catholicism. It's not unique to Catholicism. You know, Aristotle, of course, is is pagan, but yep. um, well, and that, and that what you're what you're saying, I think, leads to a second assumption, and and I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but uh, I'll use some highfalutin language and I'll explain it. Uh, one of the other differences is between ancient and, and, and modern thought is, are you a metaphysical realist or a metaphysical nominalist, mm. right? So that's, that's my highfalutin talk. Let's, let's put that into English. And a, a metaphysical realist says that the words we use are attached to a reality. The reality does not exist because of our words, but our words are attached to something that has a reality outside of our language, where... Uh, modern thought tends to think that uh, the, the word nominalist itself says it means you know, to name that we can create a reality through the use of our words, right? And so human language creates its own reality as opposed to being tied to a reality that is outside of human language. So you can see this, for example, in modern debates over things like it's in the, in the news as we record this, things like transgenderism. Am I a male because there is a biological reality? And so when someone says John is a male or he is a man, that is recognizing a reality that exists outside of those words. And so those words are a sign of a reality beyond the words. Or do I have the freedom to call myself whatever I want? And then I am whatever I call myself, right? It Go ahead, Chris. It, well, and this is just a profoundly important um, assumption to kind of lay out before we really get into some of Augustine. And for those that are interested in that particular topic, um, you can go back and search in the archives. I think January or February, Dr. Chris Bergwald and I did a did a little show on this on that precise uh, issue, uh, gender theory, gender ideology. Um, but but this assumption that there was more prevalent. Uh, within the ancients than it is, of course, within uh, moderns. How does that inform or, or lead to Augustine's thought on what's wrong with Rome? Yeah, well, exactly. Um, and so his critique of Rome is he's saying that there is a, a standard, right? Um, and that standard is otherworldly, that we have to conform ourselves to God's standards. And so while the, the, the pagan critique of Christianity and politics, which you can find uh, revivified in Machiavelli, uh, writing you know, a thousand years after uh, Augustine, is that the problem with Christianity is precisely that it's otherworldly, right? There's no loyalty to the state, but there's a divided loyalty between my loyalty to say to Rome and to God or to the United States and the church, right? Um, that, it, that Christians aren't to be trusted in politics because uh, they're too otherworldly, because the whole turn the other cheek mentality makes Christians suspect. They can't do the dirty work. Now, Machiavelli talks about the problem of dirty hands. If you want to do politics, you've got to get, get dirty. Um, and Augustine's saying, no, there's this reality uh, that the church teaches that can inform politics and that the, the problem of the Roman Empire is precisely what he ends up saying is the reason for the decline of the Roman Empire is precisely paganism and decadence, that, that because the people became immoral, he, he says at one point that if every Roman citizen had been a Christian, Rome would have never declined because they would have had self-control. They, they would have had all these virtues. And so the problem of Rome was that it became self-indulgent. 
uh, and that it simply wanted to live for now, want to live in the world, want to it, it value worldly things and worldly pleasures over what are better, higher pleasures uh, or higher goods, I should say. Uh, and this is the reason for uh, Rome's decline. And so uh, Augustine's saying that there is this there is this hierarchy and there is there is this good outside of time and space that that can inform what we do and what what is justice, what is good politics, what what creates a good order, is not something that we invent, but we have to think about how we conform can conform to things like a natural law or 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 God's will. So if you're just joining the show, this is your host, Chris Smotes, the director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference, joined by Professor John Schaff. We're talking about Augustine uh, and some of Augustine's political thought, um, just discussing a bit of, of what Augustine saw, the decline of Rome. It wasn't the Christians. It was actually a, a pagan decadence. Just maybe transitioning just a little bit, does, does Augustine, what does he have to tell us about a republic? Is, does he see yeah. w- within a republic, is there something of what, what you've just called the standard or maybe is, does, does a republic, is, is there like a nature or an essence that we can identify there? What does so, he have to say? Augustine said, look at the word republic, which comes from res publica, things of, things of the public, right? And what Augustine says, what we're looking for in politics is what he calls concord or what he will sometimes call the tranquility of order. Mm. Right. There is a certain order we're looking for, a concord, right, a, a coming together, right, this idea of harmony, right, in the political order. And this can only happen if the people themselves are rightly ordered. So, again, the problem with with pagan Rome is that, for example, their stories of their gods, is the gods are doing all these crazy immoral things. And he says this teaches the people uh uh, bad virtues, or I guess it teaches them vices. I guess that's what a bad virtue is, is a vice. Um, it teaches them all those vices, and there's discord. If there's discord in your soul, in each individual soul, then how can you have concord in public things if the individual citizens are decadent, vicious, well, they themselves are disordered? Now, you have to be clear. Augustine says that there really is only one true republic. And that is the city of God, right? And so I think his view of politics is is modest, right? That it is unlikely that the city of man uh, is is going to be a truly just, a true republic. But we can maximize the order, uh, the tranquility of order, the concord in the city of man by being informed by the city of God. So if the republic is an affair of the people, you need to have concord to have that, that, uh, that republic, that affair of the people. And so you need certain virtues, things like patience, forbearance, forgiveness, mm-hmm. generosity. And so then he contrasts that concord with what he calls the lust for domination, right? And that's what tends to... Uh, influence politics and so he says even though when when a city comes into uh when a city comes into being without justice he says it's it's a robber band right Mm. the cities in reality tend to come together through injustice and so we need to find some standard outside of the world uh 
to bring justice into political things, right? And so where there's gross injustice, a republic ceases to exist. Well, so I, the people are looking out, one, one more thought and I'll let you go. Sure. Um, if the people are looking out merely for their own good and not the common good, when the ruler rules for his own interest, and we in a democracy might think the rulers are us, when we are ruling only for our own interest, not the common interest, you, you don't have a true republic. And I, I do, I, I remember this discussion too from, uh, from City of God, because he uses this term robber bands, which is, you know, yep. kind of jumps out as like, oh, there's actually, um, there is a nature or a standard, even within our temporal government, if you will. I, I really, I, I really appreciate that you bring in this, um, just this Augustine's understanding of, of order, harmony, um, as this actually being proper to, uh, the city of man to, to our, our civil governance. The, I often share with people the motto of the South Dakota Catholic Conference is Quarite Pacem Civitatis. It's from, uh, I'm Catholic, so I like Latin, I guess, although I'm not a Latinist. It's from Jeremiah 29. It's seek the good or the peace of the city. But I was kind of like, I was really struck by this phrase um, for the, uh, it's Jeremiah to the Jews in exile, but this word Pacem. Um, is essentially, I think, what Augustine is describing when we're when we're told to seek the peace or the good of the city. I think it's the same thing. It's we're seeking the harmony, we're seeking the right ordering uh, of the place in which we live. The other thing I'm really struck by in what you just shared about this Augustine's thought on uh, the res publica, this public thing, is is his seeing the city of God as like as the only true Republic that so often for us as Catholics, there are different layers of things and we, we kind of, we can do a both and so that we can actually, we're not wrong to say that we're, we're pursuing like the, the, the highest ideals of, of a Republican government here on earth, but actually there's like the highest um, Republic, which is our ultimate end in heaven. Um, there's certainly there is within Augustine again he, he's a, he's a man of the ancient world and so he he sees all of creation as an order as a hierarchy and so there's a, a an ancient phrase the the great chain of being right and so everything in creation has its place right now the top of the great chain of being is God in fact God is so high he's you know, obviously he's, he's beyond creation because he's the creator. So he, he's, he doesn't live within the created realm. But then within the created realm, there are hierarchies. There are, there's a hierarchy of, of goods. And so uh, the, the city of God, which is manifested within creation in the church, right? The church is the city of God's represent, representative here on earth, is superior to the city of man. As we look at at various human goods, right? One of, the, you know, one of the problems is, is that twisted or depraved hearts start to have, you know, uh, even you know, within the confessions, within Augustine's confessions, how does he define sin? Sin is a disordered love. People mm. don't pursue things that they think of as bad. Yeah. They pursue them because they think they are good. Because yes. no one says, I'm going to, I'm going to do this bad thing. Yeah, I, I'm going to consciously undermine my own good. They, but what they do have is they have a disordered view of what is good. And so um, a, a way to think about this, a, a couple ways is 
just think about, you know, why is it better to be a human than a dog? In the great chain of being, humans are above dogs, right? Because human beings can attain a greater happiness than, than, than dogs can because we're made in God's image. Dogs aren't. Um, and so we can experience a oneness with God that other creatures can't. But then even within the human community, and think about, go not so much here in South Dakota, because uh, we don't have many large buildings, right? But if, if you went to, say, a large city, you go to Minneapolis, you go to New York City, you go to, you go to Chicago, what are the biggest buildings? The biggest buildings are ones that tend to be dedicated to commerce. And Augustine might say, see, that's a sign of a disordered because your biggest, most impressive buildings are dedicated mm. to a secondary good. Riches are good. Worldly things have their purpose, but they are a secondary good. And so uh, when you're pursuing riches for the sake of riches, when this is when, when a, you know, a temporal good, right? Riches are a, tempor a good of time, which means they are temporary. They're a temporary good. They're not an ultimate good. And so yet we almost have these monuments to a temporary, a temporal good. And he's saying, see, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're pursuing lower goods too much at, at the expense of a higher good. And what the church can do as the city of God's representative here on earth is to constantly remind us, here are the proper hierarchies of goods. And the city of God then, which I'm here, I'm talking about the church, can inform the city of man Here's the proper hierarchy of goods. And when you get your hierarchy out of order, when you have disorder, you're going to have, well, you're not going to have a republic anymore. Or your, your civitas, your political order is going to become disordered. And like I said, that's why Rome fails. And that's why any republic is going to fail because it, it gets disordered uh, in its goods. Well, and I, I really appreciate the comment about the, the, the disorder that we actually love. I, I'll never forget Father Jim Mason of the Diocese of Sioux Falls now teaching at seminary down in, or the rector rather, at the seminary down in St. Louis on retreat a couple of years ago with men. Just put it so bluntly, the problem, our problem with sin is that we love it. <laughs> you know? We're actually, we want to do the things that, and as St. Paul said, you know, why do I do the thing that I ought not do and, and, and not do the thing that I ought it's like sin is actually it, it. There's something within it that that attracts us, um, and we like we we like it. So his prayer, his encouragement for us to in prayer was like, Lord, um, free me from this desire. Like Lord, um, purify whatever it is in me that is that is wanting this thing. Just another comment about I really appreciate uh, b the building image, which isn't uh, it's an image, but it's like saying something very true. And for those of us that have been maybe to the city of St. Paul or even uh, Sioux Falls. There's just really profound Augustinian wisdom in, in the site selection of Archbishop Ireland and then Bishop O'Gorman in choosing the land on which they built their respective cathedrals because it literally is overlooking the city. There's just something even so viscerally uh, just visual in seeing these. When you're standing in downtown Sioux Falls, you can't help but look up at the hill. Amen. Well, this has been a great, great discussion with Professor John Schaff of, of St. Augustine. And Professor, we're going to get you back on the show as, yep. as soon as we can. I, I'm hoping sometime in, in July. Um, for, for listeners, don't hesitate to reach out if there's something you want to hear about. Until next time, live well. Mm -hmm.